Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, Molly Bish. But first, your true crime headlines. A 22-year-old man has been arrested on suspicion of stabbing his 11-year-old brother to death in suburban Seattle in broad daylight. Seattle police say that the boy, 11-year-old Murphy Hun, and his older brother, 22-year-old Bobby Hun, were involved in a violent confrontation inside a home in Renton at around 12 p.m. on Saturday. The boy ran out of the house to escape, but Bobby ran out after him and attacked him with a kitchen knife. Officers called to the scene found Murphy lying on the sidewalk, covered in blood. He was taken to Harborview Medical Center, where he later died. Police say that Bobby has a history of mental illness and, according to family members, had been agitated that day following a virtual visit with his psychiatrist. He is being held for investigation of homicide. Indianapolis police are investigating after a 16-year-old girl was fatally shot inside a downtown hotel. At around 1 a.m. Saturday, police were called to the JW Marriott on a report of a person shot. Officers found the girl, 16-year-old Carla Vasquez, in a 20th floor hotel room, suffering from at least one gunshot wound. Family and friends said that Vasquez was attending a 21st birthday celebration at the hotel. Medical personnel were called to the scene and pronounced Vasquez dead. A 17-year-old boy has been arrested and held on preliminary charges of reckless homicide in connection with the shooting. His identity has not yet been released. In Jackson, Mississippi, a backlog in autopsies at the understaffed state crime lab is expected to grow and homicide cases are facing delays after Mississippi's chief medical examiner was placed on administrative leave. According to a spokesman for the Department of Public Safety, Dr. Mark Levon was placed on leave on November 10th because he is involved in an investigation by the Mississippi Attorney General's office, though officials have not revealed what the investigation pertains to. Levon is one of just three medical examiners in the state of Mississippi who handle between 1,200 and 1,400 autopsies per year. They determine the cause of death in homicides, suicides, and accidents that require investigation and are sometimes called to testify. Sharon Grisham Stewart, president of the Mississippi Coroner's Association, said that the backlog was so bad over the summer that she was forced to store bodies for two to three weeks before the medical examiner's office could take them. Justin T. Cook, president of the Mississippi Public Defenders Association, said that some homicide cases will be delayed as a result of Levon's absence, saying, quote, any additional delays resulting from Dr. Levon's suspension further erode defendants' constitutional speedy trial rights. Los Angeles crossed a threshold Sunday as the city unofficially recorded its 300th homicide for the year, a number last reached over a decade ago. 
In 2019, Los Angeles had 253 homicides. In 2018, 260. In 2020, the city has seen a 32% increase in shootings, with other major cities seeing similar rises in crime. The LA Times reported on Sunday that it was four killings over the weekend that pushed the city over the 300 death mark for the first time since 2009. One victim was a 17-year-old boy riding a bicycle. The others were a 50-year-old homeless man, a 20-year-old man, and a 41-year-old woman, according to the LA Times. Chief Michael Moore said that he believes that some of the increased crime is due to problems related to the COVID-19 pandemic, such as economic struggles and virus-related restrictions. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, Molly Bish. But first, a quick break. The holidays are just around the corner. And with so many of us separated due to the pandemic, this year, I'm looking for gifts that will help me stay connected with my loved ones throughout the season. That's why this year's perfect gift is a skylight frame. Skylight Frame is a photo frame that you can update instantly by email from anywhere. It has a gorgeous 10-inch touch screen, black frame, and white mat, so it looks just like a real photo frame. And it sets up effortlessly, in under 60 seconds, even for my not-so-tech-savvy family members. Just plug in, use the touch screen to connect to your wireless network, and you'll be swiping through photos in no time. Sending photos to a skylight is effortless. Everyone in the family can just email them to your personal skylight email address, and they'll pop up on the screen in seconds. I won't be able to see my parents or my grandparents this year, but with the skylight frame on the mantle, we can still share in the holiday season. And multiple people can send photos to the frame, so it's a great way to enjoy the season together, even though we're apart. Skylight Frame has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't love your Skylight, they'll offer you a full refund. And now as a special offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com and enter the code MINUTE. That's right, to get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, go to skylightframe.com and enter the code MINUTE. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com promo code minute these are challenging times so if there's something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals and you've been thinking about talking to someone it's time to get better help better help is not a crisis line and it's not self-help better help is professional counseling done securely online BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist so that you can start communicating in under 48 hours. They have a broad range of expertise available, and the service is available for clients worldwide. Just log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so that you don't ever have to sit in a waiting room. 
BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you need to. Plus, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Just visit their website and read the testimonials posted daily. Like this one, written by a BetterHelp user after three weeks of counseling with Rebecca Cannon. Rebecca is very supportive, responsive, intelligent, and intuitive. I couldn't wish for a better match for myself. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MurderMinute. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. And join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are now recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Murder Minute listeners get 10% off your first month when you visit BetterHelp.com slash MurderMinute. That's BetterHelp.com slash MurderMinute. We talk a lot about physical health and mental health, but what about sexual health? Whether you hit the gym, take a walk, or meditate, if you want to take care of your whole self, you need to prioritize your pleasure along with your body and mind. Put your well-being first with Dipsy. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories and guided sessions that are designed to turn you on and help you get in touch with yourself. The stories are relatable and immersive so that you feel like you're right there. And there's something for everyone, whoever and whatever you're into. Find stories about a spontaneous hookup with a hot stranger, getting closer with that sexy yoga instructor that you can't stop thinking about, or even stories about trying that new toy together or getting tied up. Dipsy adds new content every week, so there's always more to explore. Spice things up today with Dipsy. For Murder Minute listeners, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com mm. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to dipseastories.com mm. What are you waiting for? Go to dipsystories.com slash mm. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Molly Ann Bish was born on August 2nd, 1983, to parents John Bish Sr., a probation officer, and Maggie Bish, an elementary school teacher. In her early childhood, Molly, her parents, and her siblings, Heather and John Jr., lived in Detroit, Michigan. But when a young woman was abducted in their neighborhood while walking home from work and was later found murdered, they decided to move. The Bish family left Detroit and moved to Warren, Massachusetts, a small community which they thought would be a much safer place to raise children. In the summer of 2000, 
Molly Bish was a bright and well-liked 16-year-old honors student and accomplished athlete, and she was about to start her first job. Molly began work as a lifeguard at Commons Pond, a local man-made swimming area surrounded by a forest. Her older brother, John Jr., had been a lifeguard there, and Molly took over his position. On the morning of June 27, 2000, at 9 a.m., Molly woke to bad news. One of her soccer teammates had been hit by a car while biking to work and was in critical condition. Molly was worried and upset, but she had only been on the job for eight days, and it was the first day of swim lessons at the pond. So Molly decided that she should go to work. Molly and her mother, Maggie, headed out to Commons Pond. At 9.50 a.m., they stopped by a convenience store to pick up some water bottles. Their next stop was the police station, where they picked up the required two-way radio. This was necessary, as there were no telephones at Commons Pond. The radio was the only way for the lifeguards to contact police or emergency assistance if someone needed help. Just before 10 a.m., they arrived at the pond. Molly told her mother that she loved her, left the car, and made her way to her lifeguard post just before the first swimmers of the day arrived. As the first people started to arrive at the pond, a mother noticed that there was no lifeguard on duty. When she approached Molly's station, she found her backpack, a towel draped on the chair, her whistle, her sandals, and the first aid kit, which was open. Assuming that Molly had wandered off with her friends and with swimming lessons having started, the mother sat in the lifeguard's chair and assumed Molly's duties for the rest of the lesson. She then informed the parks commissioner and Molly's boss, Ed, that there was no lifeguard on duty. At 11.44 a.m., when Molly hadn't returned, Ed called the police. It had been just three hours since she dropped off her daughter at work when Molly's mother, Maggie, received the phone call. She then called Molly's sister, Heather, and they rushed to the police station. At first, the Warren Police Department didn't take the incident seriously, believing that the teenager had ditched work to hang out with her friends. They thought that Molly was probably just upset about her teammate being hurt. Maggie and Heather visited the hospital to see if Molly had gone to visit her friend. But she hadn't been there. They then went to her boyfriend's house. But he hadn't heard from her. So Maggie, Heather, and Molly's boyfriend went to Commons Pond. There were no signs of a struggle at the scene, but Molly's family knew that she would not have just wandered off and abandoned her post and all of her belongings. Molly would never do such a thing, especially with no shoes. 
all of Molly's friends were contacted, but no one had seen her or heard from her. By afternoon, with no sign of Molly, her family feared that she had been abducted. The local police called in the Massachusetts State Police for assistance. Initially suspecting that Molly may have drowned, the state police had the pond searched extensively by divers. The Bish family strongly disagreed that Molly could have drowned because she was such a strong swimmer. After several hours searching the pond and the surrounding woods, nothing was found. Night fell, and the search was called off until the next morning. At 6 a.m. on June 28th, the search was expanded. Law enforcement deployed all units. Helicopters conducted an aerial search, and local neighboring communities formed search parties and distributed missing person flyers. During their investigation, police noted that a secluded path from Commons Pond leading to a nearby cemetery may have been utilized by her abductor. They theorized that since her first aid kit had been left open, her abductor may have lured Molly to them by faking an injury. It was then that Maggie Bish remembered something. The day before Molly's disappearance, as she was dropping her off for work at the pond, Maggie noticed a man in a white car sitting in the parking lot. She described him to police as a middle-aged man with dark eyes, graying hair, and a mustache. He sat smoking in the car, watching. Maggie noticed how the man was looking at Molly, and it made her uncomfortable. So Maggie decided to stay with Molly for a bit and help her set up her station. When the white car finally pulled out of the parking lot and left, so did Maggie. They thought the man was probably a fisherman and didn't think any more of it. On the day of her disappearance, when she dropped off Molly, Maggie hadn't seen the man or the white car. Another witness, however, did. They reported that they saw a man matching Maggie's description in the pond's parking lot just minutes before Maggie and Molly arrived. Another witness reported seeing a similar car parked at the nearby cemetery. From Maggie's description, a police sketch of the suspect was created. Molly's brother, John Jr., who had been a lifeguard at the pond, didn't recognize him as a regular. The sketch led to thousands of tips, and police set up roadblocks and searched 125 white cars in the area. But no suspects were found. Molly's boss and her boyfriend were both questioned as persons of interest, but neither were ultimately considered suspects. Contamination of the crime scene in those first few crucial hours after Molly's disappearance meant scant physical evidence. The area was littered with used cigarettes, footprints, and fingerprints. 
and police had virtually nothing to go on. When investigators looked into the area's known sex offenders, the Bish family were stunned to learn just how many lived nearby. If this many were known to police, how many weren't? Detectives also looked through John Sr.'s old cases on the theory that someone may have taken Molly as an act of revenge against him, but they found no one who held any animosity towards him. In 2003, nearly three years after her disappearance, police received a tip from a retired cop who believed that Molly's disappearance may be related to the abduction and murder of a 10-year-old girl named Holly Peranian. In the summer of 1993, Holly and her brother were visiting their grandmother in Sturbridge, Massachusetts. While she was out taking a walk to see some puppies, Holly disappeared, and only her shoe was found. During the investigation and search for Holly, Molly, who was about the same age at the time, sent a letter to the Peranian family, letting them know that she hoped Holly would return home safely. I am very sorry, she wrote. I wish I could make it up to you. Holly is a very pretty girl. She is almost as tall as me. I wish I knew Holly. I hope they found her. Holly's remains were found three months later by hunters in the woods near where she went missing. Her killer was never found. Since both girls had blonde hair and blue eyes, were taken from isolated areas and were in close proximity to each other, investigators believed that it was possible that they were taken by the same man. Molly's case became the largest and most expensive missing person search ever conducted in Massachusetts. The case was profiled on 48 hours, disappeared, America's Most Wanted, and Unsolved Mysteries. In May of 2003, a tip came in from a local hunter. He remembered seeing a blue bathing suit in the woods on Whiskey Hill in Palmer in 2002. It was an area frequented by hunters. He had thought nothing of it at the time. The area was searched by police, and a piece of cloth that appeared to be from a bathing suit was recovered. It was the same blue as the bathing suit that Molly had worn on the day that she went missing. A DNA lab later confirmed that the suit belonged to Molly. On June 3, 2003, police searching the area discovered human skeletal remains that belonged to someone between 14 and 20 years old. There are 206 bones in the human body. 26 were recovered, just five miles from the pond. DNA tests confirmed that they were the remains of Molly Bish. Sadly, no other physical evidence was found that could help identify her killer. On August 2nd, 2003, on what would have been her 20th birthday, Molly Bish was finally laid to rest. 
her family kissed her bones and placed them in a baby casket. They were advised against cremation in case the remains may need to be exhumed for future forensic examination. The small casket was placed inside a larger one, which Molly's friends and family filled with letters, mementos, and Molly's prom dress. In 2004, Maggie and John Bish founded the Molly Bish Center and Foundation for the Protection of Children and the Elderly, which offered assistance to families whose loved ones went missing. As part of their work, they provided child identification kits for families, taking a photograph and fingerprinting children so that their families would have the information for police if anything ever happened to them. In 2008, a new suspect appeared in the case. When Rodney Stanger was arrested in Florida for the murder of his girlfriend. A tip came into police linking the two cases when someone observed that the photo on Rodney Stanger's firearm card issued in Massachusetts looked almost identical to the police sketch in Molly's case and that he was from Warren. Stanger had lived in the area for years, hunted in the woods where Molly's remains were found fished in Commons Pond, and moved to Florida a year after her murder. His brother Randy drove a white car. Rodney Stanger denied any involvement in Molly's disappearance. He is currently serving a 25-year sentence for the murder of his girlfriend. In November of 2011, Gerald Battistoni was named as a suspect by private detective Dan Malley of Massachusetts. Battistoni was serving time in prison for raping a teenage girl in the early 90s. He had been in the area where Molly's body was found and also resembled the composite sketch of the man that Maggie saw in the parking lot. After newspaper articles identified him as a potential suspect in both Holly and Molly's deaths, he attempted suicide in prison. His DNA was later collected as evidence. Gerald Battistoni died in November of 2014. Twenty years after her abduction, Molly Bish's case remains open, and her family is still searching for answers. No arrests have ever been made. If you or someone you know has information regarding this case, please contact the Massachusetts State Police at 1-800-808-9677. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.